0: If you're prepared for it, go for it. Stick with your comfort, keep lifting, keep doing the things you enjoy because a happy mom is probably gonna go through the process in a much different way than a mom that feels restricted.
1: Are you done with being that pregnant or postpartum mom in the gym who is always stuck on the sidelines feeling horrible, saying, how come no one ever told me this? Are you ready to finally say no to a mom life filled with excess weight, injury, overwhelm and fatigue? then health is here. Welcome to the Strong Moms Fitness Podcast, where we dive deep into the information you need to be the strongest woman in and out of the gym, even if you are a mom. If you are done going through your pregnancy or postpartum fitness journey clueless and unprepared, if you are ready to commit and say yes to being that badass fit mom who is shredded and stronger than before the baby, well, listen up. Because this is where we talk about all of the things your doctor or trainer never told you about so that you can achieve the body you want and take your athletic strength and performance to the next level. Get ready, because here's your host, Daisy Bravo. Well,
2: hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Strong Moms Fitness Podcast. I have got a huge smile on my face. If you didn't know, I do post all these on YouTube too. So if you can watch my ridiculous smirk here, but I am so excited and I'm going to try and get through this intro as quickly as I can, because my guest today, John Flagg, shared so many knowledge bombs when it comes to lifting heavy weights, mindset, You like getting stronger pregnant, postpartum, whatever stage of motherhood you are at. So, who is John Flagg? Well, he is a certified athletic trainer and he is the owner of Rebuild Stronger. He is an online coach and he also has a rehab service focused on returning athletes back to competition. He is also the lead instructor of Clinical Athletes Powerlifting Course, and John knows it all. He has an amazing background. He's been lifting and coaching for over 15 years in powerlifting, weightlifting, and strongman. Now, while weightlifting is his first love, Powerlifting is his passion. He has worked with hundreds of athletes from beginners to world champions to help them recover from injury and return to higher levels of performance. He also competes himself in raw and equipped powerlifting across the USAPL and USPL. I want to, with a warm, warm welcome, introduce, with all the stoke in the world, I want to welcome John Flagg. So hello, John, and welcome to the Strong Moms Fitness Podcast. I'm so excited to have you here on the show. You are someone with such a great wealth of knowledge in the lifting genre, and you keep lifters healthy while gaining strength. And that is what drew me to you specifically, checking out your Instagram. You really try and find this balance between desire to lift, keeping people healthy, keeping people strong. So I really love that. And I'm excited to say that you are actually officially the first male guest on the podcast. So welcome.
0: I'm honored. That's Yay. actually really cool. You can't hear me blush, but I am blushing right now. That's
2: Awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah, we appreciate that. And you I brought you on here also because you work with lifters and a lot of the listeners of the show love to lift heavy and they want to keep lifting heavy and they are not liking what they're hearing from some of their medical team. So, I wanted you <laughs> to come on the show, bust some myths, and empower our ladies that if you wanna lift, then grab some weights, grab your barbells, and let's do some lifting. So, John, I'd love for you to give us a little briefing on who you are, what you do, what sets you apart from other people. A lot of my women that are listening are a part of my Rebuild After Baby program, which is geared towards more of the initial corrective exercise that women should have before they see someone like you potentially or get back into CrossFitters. So that's why I'm excited to have you here to to help take women from that one step where yeah. They've worked on their core. They've worked on their pelvic floor. Let's get back into some more higher intensity sort of things, some heavier weights and stuff. So that was long-winded, but tell me who you are, what you do and how you've helped some women in the past.
0: I'll tell you what, I'm not short-winded. So, <laughs> I mean, even as a power lifter, I, I'm I'm, I'm going to go off on tangents. So fair cool. warning. So I initially was introduced into strength training years and years and years ago, typically like most people are through sports. But the real inflection point for me was when I was working with the men's and women's soccer team at Penn state, my last year there as a grad student. And I was an athletic trainer for them trying to keep the athletes healthy. And I just basically started to think like, okay, well, if my guys and girls are bigger and faster and stronger than yours, then they're probably going to get hurt less. So maybe I should focus more of my time on that as opposed to like band aiding everything afterwards. So help start taking over their strength and conditioning stuff. And and that became my practice standard was like, okay, prevention. Now we call it injury risk reduction. But at this point, that's when I decided like, okay, if I can put weights in people's hands, if I can get them active prior to, or or before injury, the outcome's probably going to be better. Thankfully, a bunch of research came out and said, yeah, that's hundred percent true. And then I fell into powerlifting and it actually started with Olympic weightlifting by my own competition. It's just something I started to love to do. So I started off doing Olympic weightlifting. I did that for five years and then my first daughter was born. So training for three hours a day just did not become realistic anymore. So switched back over to powerlifting. I've been doing that ever since. Powerlifting now at this point, God, I'm 37, so for like 20 years. Ooh, aging myself. I should have told everybody that.
2: You get you a cane over there.
0: Yeah, geez. But one of the things that I've really started to recognize through that entire process is time is probably the biggest indicator of performance. The longer you can do something successfully, the more likely you are to have higher level success and enjoy it, especially if it's something that you love to do. So that has led me to where I am now. i own a company called rebuild stronger. We do online strength coaching and rehab. I actually have a pelvic floor physical therapist on my staff up in Canada, mainly for kind of the reason you mentioned before, like I'm the first male on here. So it's really hard for me to go and tell somebody like, you should be doing these exercises. Cause I'll get that. Well, what a big bearded man. You, I also have a behavioral analyst on staff that helps us with mindset training. And it's just one of these things. We have so many women that have been told not just postpartum and and during pregnancy, but throughout their entire lives that like, you shouldn't lift weights. You shouldn't be physically active. You need to do this this way to be a lady or whatever the hell it is that that is communicated as. And now that we're seeing this change in physical culture, we're almost seeing like a pendulum swing to the other side where people are being more aggressive, telling you to stop. You're going to hurt yourself. I've actually heard some really nasty things said to women during pregnancy about if they lift some outcomes will happen that are obviously extraordinarily scary. And I don't, I don't, I'm not going to repeat them because I just don't, it it makes me cringe to think, but we see the benefit that that has. And we, we see that not just in that phase, that that postnatal phase, but also through the rest of your life, because this is something my wife and I talk about a lot. I have a seven-year-old daughter. I have a -a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter. And the two-and-a-half, her name is Maddox. We call her Max. She is a peanut. She's just so tiny. We'll, We'll pick her up every now and then. I'm like, how are you still this small? But she still runs around the house screaming strong. She still has her own little bench press. She still has her own little box. My older daughter is an adventurer at heart and has built all this confidence by watching her mommy lift. That comes with watching her fail. That comes with watching the hard parts of training. That comes with watching her go through those bad, difficult, hard days. So it's more than just like it transcends doing this just for us, which I think is the core of it. We should do it just for us because that's important for us to take care of ourselves. But then it also sends that message to our kids. This is how you take care of yourself. This is how you be powerful. And that's a very, very important message that I especially want my daughter's to get as they grow up. So that's the long part of it, but I'm sure we're probably going to go deeper into a lot of that stuff, but that's me in a nutshell.
2: Ah, I love that. And, and kids pick up on everything. If if you're the type of parent that spends free time just sitting around watching TV or um, eating poorly or eating fast food all the time, kids will think that that is, that's fine. And it's up to us to be, of course, those role models and teaching them what. So starting them young is very important. And I, I actually have seen your uh, pictures of your daughter on Instagram standing in front of a bar. I was just the cutest thing. So I guess they're just emulating everything that you guys do. That's amazing.
0: <laughs> My youngest one, Max, it, it's, it's actually difficult for me to get, get a bench session in because I'll lay on the bench and she'll run over. Because one of those days, something you do with your kids, now it sticks. <laughs> she'll run over and try to sit like on my lap while I'm bench pressing. And it's like, okay, we, I know you're comfortable with this stuff. We're gonna Be careful. And she just loves it. Like they're down there the entire time and loving life. That's amazing.
2: That's a beautiful thing to see. That is great. And I see that a lot with the children of gym owners. There's some kids hanging around and, and it's so funny because when they're super young, the first gift that they get from, and it's it's usually the dad, but they'll get them the little rattle that's like a, a dumbbell or something like that. <laughs> and like just toys escalate from that. And they just want to follow those patterns and emulate you. So super cute. Now, it is really amazing that in your powerlifting gym, you're seeing more and more females that are interested want to get into it. Gone are the days that, and I'm thinking of, of course, every single Arnold Schwarzenegger documentary, where it's just a lot of grunting. And and even when gyms used to be separated too, where they would have the women's section and the men's section. And I'm really liking that this is just becoming a more co-ed community. So I really like that vibe uh, coming around that it's just not a, a boys club anymore. But there is always, with women, there's always this stigma that goes around that you can only do certain things at certain times and you got you you know, can't do this, you can't do that. So I want to chat a little bit more and, and you touched upon it a little bit about kind of myths that circulate, misinformation that you hear around pregnancy, postpartum and weightlifting. What are you hearing most in your gym and, and how do you help reframe this? A lot of women have a lot of respect for their doctors and take their word as gospel. So... <laughs> do you touch this or how do you reframe
0: this? I'll tell you what, I, one of the most difficult things to do is to fight misinformation and it doesn't really matter where it comes from, whether it's the internet from an authority figure, whatever, anytime you fight in misinformation, it has to be done gently. We talk a lot about behavior change in a multitude of, of areas, but I think first and foremost, and I'm going to use like a very specific example. If, An athlete comes to me, if one of my athletes comes to me and says, John, just found out I'm pregnant. How does the game plan change? My doctor says X, Y, Z, but these are the things that I want to continue to do. So in my personal opinion, I am not a psychologist, so I'm just going to say this. That person is primed for change. They are ready for change. It's different if somebody comes to you and says, my doctor said this, so these are my restrictions. There's that belief there, and you're probably gonna have to move them towards change. Those two situations are different. So let's take situation one. Situation one, you can just start educating. Okay, cool. So doctor said you have a 15-pound lifting restriction. What have you been doing prior to when you got pregnant? X, Y, Z, Uh, I'm a 300-pound deadlifter. Okay, cool. Now, obviously, because of some of the hormonal changes that are gonna happen, some of the mobility changes, those sorts of things, the way your body's going to change, you may have to change the positions that you lift in very, very specifically when my wife got pregnant the first time she was a conventional deadlifter. So her feet were pretty close. And as the belly got bigger, we just had to move the feet out to make room and she wasn't able to maintain as much intensity just because it was harder for her to recover because she said like spending resources on building a person, So you make those adjustments, but you don't just say, okay, let's cut out all physical activity. That's that's not going to be healthy either. For that individual who still has that belief structure, you have to ask the question. And you start with open-ended questions. Okay, cool. So how does that make you feel? What do you want to be able to do? Do you feel like that's a viable option for you of 15-pound lifting restriction or a 5-pound lifting restriction? No, that sounds crazy. I have a a 30-pound dog food bag. (laughs) What what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to feed my dog until my baby is born? So that's you just start breaking those things down. Because it is a process. You're not just going to be able to attack that. The things that I hear, wild, wild. Especially when it comes, you mentioned CrossFit in the beginning, lifting maximal weights, lifting some heavy stuff. That, that's going to have limitations when we get to certain points in the pregnancy just because it's going to be hard to recover and it may not be comfortable like, hey, let's just stay comfortable here. But things like cardiovascular health, things like some of the stuff you do in CrossFit can all be scaled and modified to fit your needs. So our OBGYN was great. The first time we walked in, that's the first question we asked. And he said, cool. What have you been doing lately? If you're prepared for it, go for it. Stick with your comfort. Keep lifting. Keep doing the things you enjoy. Because a happy mom is probably going to go through the process in a much different way than a mom that feels restricted. And we've talked about that with diet. We can talk about that with like post-pregnancy, pre-pregnancy. like the happier you are, the more you're probably going to enjoy the process anyway. So if you restrict yourself a ton, that's going to seem miserable. And then just from – uh hindsight's twenty twenty kind of thing. Most of the women that have gone through it, that I've spoken to in that capacity, they don't have that. Like, Oh my gosh, I hated pregnancy. It was terrible. <laughs> like, Now granted every, some people have complications. There's a lot of nuances to that. There's a lot of layers there, but a lot of the times it's like, yeah, I enjoyed it. I still did the things that I wanted to. And some days my feet swelled and they were uncomfortable price of admission, I guess and now i have these beautiful kids so yeah it i've heard i've heard wild stuff but i think the biggest thing is the big, biggest recommendation that i hear across the board from people who are up to date on it is if you've been doing it it's probably safe to continue and just make sure that you stay comfortable throughout that entire thing and and modify as much as you can now this does take me into one other critical piece i do talk a lot about mindset you have to have very flexible expectations. If before pregnancy you did MRF at like a crazy time, when you're in your, towards the end of your second trimester, if you want to try to do MRF again, you're probably not going to beat that time. Okay. It's just going in with expectations to understand where you are and setting healthy expectations. As you go through pregnancy, your body's going to change. Hormones are going to change mood, sleep, all that stuff's going to change. So plug that into the expectations that you have about your activity so that you can come into it and take what's there and get the wins that you can stack up throughout that entire process. Because if you can do that, it's so much better. It's so much better.
2: For sure. Yeah. And resetting that ego a little bit. Mm.
0: (laughs) Not the easiest thing
2: in the world, no, and of course, yeah, there's and there's gonna be things in your control and out of your control. So taking it you know day by day and trying to keep that ego (laughs) at bay is super important. Now, you made me think about something else here, and it's more common now, I think, especially in our world of, of social media, where people like to bully. And then hide behind their comments or run away with their tail between their legs. But I find that shaming pregnant and postpartum moms who lift is huge right now. What's your advice? Because I know some people are proud of what they're doing and they want to show that to lift up other women or to show that this is possible to cut back reduce some of these stigmas. Do you experience this with some of your athletes that they're getting either haters online or someone goes and works out at Gold's Gym for example, you get a lot of uh, <laughs> dirty looks from someone a little more old school. How do you handle this situation with your athletes?
0: Well, I think my first Point of advice is if you don't have a hater, you're probably not doing something right. It, you can collect haters; that's perfectly fine. It, it's not the easiest thing in the world to deal with. I, I'm curious, and this is kind of a follow up question. Outside, I think there's the the occurrence of it happening is probably relatively similar. So I think women lifting, women being physically active, lifting heavy, doing their thing. They probably get shamed just as much, except the severity of shaming a pregnant woman is substantially higher. I don't tolerate any of it. It doesn't make any sense to me why you would spend your time shaming somebody for taking care of themselves. Granted, I understand the person doing the shaming doesn't view it as that. They think you're doing something crazy and you're going to hurt yourself or the baby or whatever. But as as much as my my biggest advice is just to, just ignore them. They're not you. They don't know you. They don't know your life. They don't know why you're doing what you're doing. What you've done. We've all been, especially as coaches, you get you get haters because you put up somebody's deadlift video, right? And they may get like this this slight low background, and somebody in the comment comes in, is like, "Oh my gosh." There's so much context missing. You don't know what this person looked like six months ago. You don't know what this person's been doing to make that better. You don't know what their life has looked like. Their dog might've just died. You know, they're having a rough day. Same thing, they, these people with their one-off comments, ignore them. If you're, you know, super confident, go after them. Tell me why, why is that bad? I mean, but you collect them. It's mm-hmm. fine, you're doing something right. I can't stand it, though. God, I hate it. It makes me cringe so much.
2: <laughs> well, yeah. And, and like you said, yeah, it's a sign that you're doing something right when you start. Haters are staring at you and glaring at you. And of course, they usually don't know what the hell they are talking about.
0: <laughs> well, and you know what? The, the Internet is a beautiful place because it allows us to set things up like this. But it's also a terrible place. People can say whatever they want behind their little keyboard and and have zero understanding of what it is they're talking about. Just always frame it that way. Always frame it that way. This person doesn't know me.
2: Right. And it's always interesting because they're seeing a small piece of a greater puzzle. So like you were saying, who knows what they looked like? four months ago, six months ago. This form could be amazing for them. This could be revolutionary to their skills and their advancements. So yeah, social media.
0: <laughs>
2: Love it. Hate it. It's it's here to stay though.
0: <laughs> it is. It is. The genie's out of the bottle. This, we can't put it back at this point.
2: Right. Now, here's another common situation. When you're dealing with a pregnant or postpartum athlete, a lot of them are either trying to prevent or improve or work on the whole bag that comes with pregnancy and postpartum, things like diastasis, prolapse, leakage, hernias. What sort of advice do you give to moms who are working to prevent or reduce the instance or get around these obstacles while still working on what makes them happy? Be it lifting or what have you. Do you work on progressions with them? Do you help them adjust form or breathing or positioning? How do you work to help women who are struggling with this sort of stuff, but you know ultimately so, have the deep desire to keep lifting?
0: First things first. I think initially it's uh, it's a conversation about expectations and mindset. So I will tell people, and this let let's remove. I mean, we can remove just the pregnancy aspect of it. We could talk about injury in general and then make it very specific to what we're talking about here. If you're a physically active individual, the risk for injury is going to be there. It's always going to be there. I, 100% of the time, 100 out of 100, will choose staying physically active and the possible risks of injury to not being active and the known risks, first and foremost. That's always a trade that I'll make. I think that changes slightly when you do extremely crazy stuff like I do. Because then you start to look at like, how competitive do you want to be at this thing? Do you open yourself to more risk? Okay. I sign off on that. That's fine. So that's the first thing. It's going in and saying, okay, look, you want to stay physically active. Regardless of whether you were pregnant or not, there's always going to be some level of risk. Okay. We can mitigate that risk by... A, looking at how we're scaling your activity. So I mentioned Murph previously. That's probably a bad example, but let's say we're just working (laughs) on like snatches, like some sort of snatch complex. So if we hit to a point and you're like, that's not comfortable anymore, like your normal receiving position for the feet, for the snatch is, is narrow. And now we're, you know, entering second trimester and we're starting to then, okay, let's Let's open the feet up a little bit more. Let's get more comfortable. Explore the ranges of motion a little bit differently. Okay, when I get to 60 kilos, now it's uncomfortable in this position. Okay, let's drop let's stay within a range that's still comfortable. So your main movements don't get taken away from you. You just scale them to what you're capable of and just take that as what you're able to work on. Here's the deal. Here's the here's the thing that's really important too. You can also take that as an opportunity. John, my intensity is not high enough. I'm not going to get stronger and make your technique better. Then take it as an opportunity to improve on another aspect of the lift. So when you come out of here, you still grew some. So that's that's first and foremost. Secondly, you can also look at some of those kind of progressive rehab type stuff. Diastasis is one of those ones that's it's really common right now. It's a hot topic. It's something a lot of people are talking about. I'm not entirely sure. I haven't found enough research to say that it's completely preventable or something that people can just avoid. However, doing some breathing exercises, doing some some core work, figuring out the things that, you know, especially if you work with a pelvic floor specialist, when they start talking about doming and all these other positions you want to manage and master better, incorporate that into your training as well and just scale these things as, as appropriate. But it all starts with that mindset right up front. Scale it to what's comfortable. Understand there's always going to be a risk, that it's it's never – you're never bulletproof. These things can happen. If it does happen, it's not the end of the world. You can still recover and still be a high-level athlete when everything gets back to – I don't even want to say normal, but just gets back to your normal competitive self. And roll with that and just know the fact that you're staying in it and doing the things that you love to do is going to is way better than doing nothing. It's way better than the weight gain, than all the other things that you can risk if you go to zero activity. And also because so you've got this rebuild program. So this is this is going to be one of those things that I'm sure you see very frequently. If you go from zero and then try to build back up, your starting point is now further back. Your start line is not where you want it to be. So everybody comes in and they're like, well, I did these exercises before. You haven't been doing anything for, at this point, eight months. Cause most people are like, oh crap, I'm pregnant, (laughs) right? Right? Oh, well, hold on. Oh yeah, okay. Got to get on that real quick. So they stop activity and it, it's been eight, eight and a half months of of not a whole lot. And when you have eight and a half months and not a whole lot and you try to come back into it, you've got to build back up from a different place. Sure. So
2: Yeah. yeah. Starting line has been moved back <laughs> like yeah. a mile. Yeah.
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> Now, something that you said triggered a thought. I hear from a a lot of coaches and trainers who deal with uh, the pregnant postpartum clientele. And a lot of them say that at a certain point, you should stop using a barbell because this is going to mess up your neurological training of the bar path. And it's going to create more work for you later or in the long run afterwards, should we really, you know, worry about something like that? Or, or maybe is that something that only should be concerned to higher competitive echelon or should we just do it? Cause we love it. What are your thoughts on that sort of thought or theory?
0: Oh man, this is a, this is a deep rabbit hole and I'm yeah. going to try, I'm, I'm try not to go super, super deep in, in my clinical athlete powerlifting coaching certification, we go really far into motor learning. Mm-hmm. and it's a it's an incredibly dense topic that i think a lot of people they look at at movement as a very one dimensional type of activity especially deviations from bar path all of a sudden create these bad reps now when we look at things like weightlifting i could see in some instances it's like okay like obviously you're not going to be able to keep the bar as close to you you're going to have to push the bar out in front However, what about options? If you train like that, A, you got to think of the psychology of the athlete. So use a barbell, continue to use a barbell. You still have it in your hands. You still have that feel in your hands. You're still doing something. Is there a way we can modify training to make that not happen and still do things like a snatch? Yeah, we can power snatch to overhead squat. We can do things from the high hang. We can do things from a bunch of different positions. But I think the short period of time in relation to you at the length of time you've actually been training is going to be a drop in the ocean. It, it's just, it's not going to make that much of a dent in regards to motor patterning mm-hmm. and the way your brain deals with motor learning. I think weightlifting probably has the most direct correlation because you have to get the bar around the belly. But like powerlifting, some strongman stuff, CrossFit, there's movements where – I use this example a lot in in squatting. I have athletes that will start with a relatively narrow stance, and as they progress in the sport, the stance gets wider and they continue to get stronger. Uh, they they compete with a multitude of different stances because now they have options. I have athletes that compete sumo or conventional and do both. We just pick which one is the strongest one on the day. Mm -hmm. So if you allow yourself to also explore options, then you give yourself options. Mm -hmm. So great example here. Now what happens if, so I've seen some of these same coaches say that same thing that will, Program in their workouts, uh, snatch complex, and then a weighted vest run and instruct their athletes to continue to wear the weighted vest during the Olympic lifting portion. What's the difference? You're going to hook that bar on the weighted vest the same way you would on a pregnant belly. Are we not concerned about that motor degradation? No, because it's not going to happen. Interesting. You might you might have three months where you've really got to work that bar like around you
2: mm-hmm.
0: three months for somebody who's been weightlifting for three years. It's just not, it's not going to make that much of a difference. And then just like you said, there's going to be this three to six month rebuild period where they're Positions are going to change where Elastin is trying to get out of their system where there there's all these other adjustments that they're going to have to have options there too. So their brain's just going to have to figure it out and it's going to give them options when it comes down the road to, to be competitive.
2: That's cool. I like it. So if, if the dames want to keep doing it, then just do it. I, yeah. I still <laughs> let, them, let them go. Let them go. exactly. Because
0: that, that's the thing. I don't care. It's like, if you're a high level, super upper tier, upper echelon competitor, you know what the worst thing to do for you is, is to stop doing things that you enjoy and love.
2: Sure.
0: To have something feel like it's been taken away from you. Don't allow that to happen. Keep mm-hmm. doing it. Keep cool. loving it. Because when you come back to it, you're going to be like, yes, still mm-hmm. here. Right. Bar still feels the same. So that's cool. Yeah, I like that. It.
2: That's definitely more empowering than taking the candy away. So that's probably a bigger challenge if they're not, if they see their friends lifting on the other side and they're like, I can't touch it. It's going to mess my neural pa- motor patterns. Sorry.
0: <laughs> Brain just doesn't learn that fast. Unfortunately, yeah. it's pretty wild.
2: Cool. Cool. and Excellent. Now, a lot of the ladies that I work with deal with issues with urinary incontinence. A lot of times... When you get into some heavier lifting situations, you can leave a puddle behind in your dust there. Do you help women with this? And do you have any kind of tips or coaching advice for women who who leak? And then maybe they get it under control and then they just throw on some more weight and then it's back. Do you have any advice about that?
0: So this is specifically why I brought Christy Fisher on. And, and she's my, my pelvic floor physiotherapist. She's in Canada. When we've talked about it, First and foremost, it, it, we're looking at it more from like a, a muscular type weakness thing. So you have to find that point where it happens. And really it's a pressure issue, not like, oh, this part is like, it's weak. Your pelvic floor is not able to sustain the pressure. So it, you leak. We found my wife specifically, when she would belt, when she would put a belt on because it would increase the pressure, the weight, she, she would be okay without a belt. Put a belt on, same weight, and it would happen because of that pressure increase. So Christy started working with her, and we started scaling in a couple of abdominal exercises to maintain position. And just like any other type of muscular injury, we built up its tolerance to be able to handle load. And that's what you have to do. You have to find where its point is, where it can no longer sustain its job, hover just below that, and then train it like you would any other muscle, a hamstring strain, low back strain, anything like that. The difficulty I think is that it's not like just a, a hamstring strain. This is a very complex muscle that works on many different functions. So that's why for me, that's why I punt. I refer to Christy. Christy's the specialist. She does her thing. And then also it, there's a comfortability thing here. You already mentioned, hey, I'm the first male to come on this podcast. If you had some 280-pound guy with a beard, be like, okay, so now I want you to get into this position and watch for doming. (laughs) They're going to be like, excuse me, sir. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) What did you say? (laughs) So that first and foremost, find a physio or uh, a strength coach or trusted physical therapist or even personal trainer that has experience specifically working with these sorts of things that you feel comfortable with when it comes to their personality. And then from there, it is, it's scaling that stuff in and just being making smart choices. Like you said, you're good. You're good. You're good. It starts getting better. You go for that PR attempt and it happens again. It's just, you've exceeded its capacity. Does that mean that like you're not getting stronger at the same time? No, you're still getting stronger because you went for that PR attempt. Just know, that that has to continue to catch up.
2: That's cool. And has your wife been able to slowly continue to lift heavier or add a belt and uh, get through these, these issues of urinary incontinence?
0: Yeah, it took time, but now, so I lift raw. So that's without equipment and I lift with equipment. So a squat suit and that sort of thing. She's actually gotten into lifting in a squat suit with me as well. So she's lifting some really heavy stuff and the, the equipment itself, the suit adds pressure. It's think of it as like a a big canvas. Oh man. What's the word I'm thinking of? <laughs> like a corset. There we go. Okay. Like a big canvas corset, but oh, for your yeah. hips. So it adds it adds quite a bit of pressure. And she's been able to to train relatively well and not not have as many issues.
2: Hmm, very cool. Ah, I like that. That's awesome. Now, I want to shift our conversation a little bit to mindset stuff, since it seems like you incorporate that a lot with with your athletes, or you even have a team to <laughs> outsource some of that too, if if it gets beyond your your scope. There, mom guilt is super huge oh, these days. We're going days. right.
0: To the heart of it. I love this. This So
2: I'd like to jump in and and maybe hear about some of your personal experiences, you know, with your wife, if she has dealt with any mom guilt, feelings, like how do you work through something like
0: this? Step by step by step by step. So I look at, at this as something that never really goes away. We talk to coaches, we talk to athletes, we talk to clinicians about imposter syndrome all the time. I have mentors of mine that own multi-million dollar businesses and they go to open a new one and they're still scared to death. Imposter syndrome never really goes away. I don't think mom guilt ever really goes away either. (laughs) It's something that you constantly are trying to to battle and it'll creep up at every turn. So I'm going to take this specifically from a, a book John Berardi wrote called change makers. It's technically for coaches and healthcare professionals and that sort of thing. But he basically creates a priority list. What are your top three priorities? You should say yes to those priorities at all times. So like from a business perspective for me, if somebody comes to me with an opportunity, let's say to go on a podcast. If my first one is, is that going to interrupt my family time? Right? No. Okay then I say yes to that podcast. The next thing, is it going to positively impact my business outcomes? Yes. Cool. I'll go on the podcast. It, so those are like, you, you put out priorities, however many you want to, if you, a challenge those prior challenge, one of those priorities often. So like if I constantly say, yes, I want t- more time with my family, but keep, like compromising that one. Is it really a priority for me? And then B is those priorities should help guide your decisions. So when it comes to things like imposter syndrome or even mom guilt, it's like, okay, why am I doing this thing? What this thing that's making me feel guilty? Why am I doing this thing? Okay. Well I'm doing this because I want my kids to see what it's like to take care of themselves in a positive light. I want my kids to be part of physical culture. I want to be healthy enough to be able to take care of my kids when they really need me. I, it, whatever those reasons are, you run through them in that moment. And then truly ask yourself, okay, is the thing that I feel guilty for right now, does it outweigh those things? Because it's going to happen. You're not going to prevent mom guilt or imposter syndrome or any of these mindset things to creep in. You're not going to prevent them. They're going to happen. It's who you are in that moment that matters. And you just got to stop and say, okay, where am I right now? What am I thinking? Who am I in this moment? Answer those priorities and then make a decision because there will be times where mom guilt's right. Like you probably should be doing X, Y, Z. It just happens. (laughs) Right. So That that's when you but you got to have a structure to help you make those decisions to make it a reality, to truly conceptualize it and give you the right perception of what's happening.
2: Cool, that's awesome. I think that's definitely something that women can work with and and take home. So I appreciate that because yeah, I still get phone calls from my my mom who lives thousands of miles away, (laughs) saying of things that she uh, feels guilty for or regrets when we were young young kids and. New things come up
0: constantly. So,
2: yep. <laughs> I well, don't want to age myself, but she's still on my case. Yeah. <laughs> she's still feeling guilty.
0: The tough part, and I think all parents struggle with this, especially if you're an involved parent, you're gonna make mistakes. There is no roadmap. There it, it's like we don't we don't have a clear path through this. You're gonna make decisions that 20 years from now you're gonna look back and be like, oh, that was dumb. I mean, we all did that. Look, <laughs> you go go think about all the crap you did in high school. Like, yeah, there's some stupid (laughs) stuff in there, but like, you're going to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. It's the totality of your actions that matter, not a singular moment outside of very rare occasions where singular moments do actually make huge impact, but we, those are typically called tragedies. So Mm -hmm. we don't, I don't really bring them into these sorts of things, but yeah, it's the totality of your actions. You can always correct that mistake by leading in a different direction, but you're a leader First and foremost, you have to learn to be a leader as a parent. And it's super hard when they're two and a half and they're screaming at you. (laughs) And they're just so irrational. Oh, man.
2: Reminds me of my dad stopping the car and saying, get out of the car. You're walking.
0: (laughs) I don't know how to get home. Too bad.
2: (laughs) Too bad. Hit your ride." (laughs) <laughs> love it, awesome, appreciate that, yeah, and it's and I see that in parallels with something like nutrition. You strive to eat well every day and having one piece of cake or one you know binge here and there isn't going to derail what you've worked so hard at forever. It's just the overall picture that that is important, so I can see some parallels with that now. What other like struggles or mindset issues do you see with your athletes that gets in, the, in their way from progressing and, and building strength? Or, are there others that you've maybe noticed in your wife or other women that you've worked with? I,
0: I don't want to generalize this one oh. just because I think everybody struggles with it with at, at different levels. Mm-hmm. The number one thing that I find gets in people's way is not having a full appreciation of outside stressors and its impact on performance. People don't take into account life. They, they act as though it's completely removed from performance. When you look at stress and you realize that your body doesn't understand the difference between stressors, like a barbell on your back being a good thing is still something that's trying to kill you. You know what I mean? Like, that's why you adapt and get stronger. The CrossFit clock that you love so much is still this threat that your body has to respond to. Same thing with like, Anything going on with work, anything going on with your family, anything that's going on if you're not sleeping well, if you've got digestive issues, if you're going through a nasty divorce, if your kids are stressing you out. All of those stressors add up. And those external stressors to training directly impact training. There's there's not a they're not completely separated from each other. That's the thing that I see so many people miss, is they're in the pits. A great example. For the last two years, I've had an athlete going through a, a messy divorce, already looking like a single mom at that point. Got a whole bunch of other stressors. You've got financial stressors trying to go back to school. You've got all these other things piling up and, and compiling. and It is making training extraordinarily difficult. Here's the other fun part. When stress levels are high, chronic pain areas become lightning rods, like there may not be an injury there, but everything just hurts. Recovery gets impacted. Your sleep sucks. Nutrition becomes difficult. Your weight starts to fluctuate up and down. Now you got like you know, some internal body issue, body image issue, stuff's going on. So all these stressors pile up. Everything's Everything just starts to explode. And training, from my perspective, has to become minimum viable dose. Like What's the, li- the least amount we can do to move the needle for you? And here's the crazy part. So in the last couple of months, the clouds have separated. The sun's starting to come through again. Divorce is finalized. She's doing really well in school. Financial outlook has gotten much more stable. Found a boyfriend that's really, really nice, treating her well. Everything's good. Training has exploded. Like she's worked for two years, she's been struggling, not seeing a whole lot of progress. All of a sudden we had a 20 pound bench PR the other day out of nowhere. Just boom. Hmm. And a lot of that's just because everything else is backed off. And we had a conversation. I was like, you didn't realize the stress load that you had on you. There were times she wanted to throw things at me because I was like, I don't think you can take that. I just, I don't think you've got so much on your plate. I don't think you Hmm. can do that right now. Stuck with it. And now that those stressors have been relieved, and pulled back. Now you can start putting resources in other places. That's that's the biggest thing. So many people miss is that your training life, your entire life, adds up into one big cup. And it they're not just they're not removed. You can't just come in and, and warrior it like people will tell you. I'll oh, just suck it up. No, it's, just, it's not how it works. You've got to balance those things and understand that that outside life will impact the gym. Okay.
2: That's amazing. And that's definitely a, f- a fresh perspective, and I I really appreciate that because a lot of people say, "Oh, just utilize the gym as you're out, your your step away, you're where you're dissociating from everything in the world," and which I'm sure can work in in some respect, but we still have to keep that cup in mind. That yeah, if if our cup is overflowing. That Again, we only have that so much that we can give, and it sounds like your client was working with at least 20 pounds on her shoulders or more, <laughs> and once she was able to let that go, her abilities just shot up. So I, I really like that. That's really made a fresh sort of visual and fresh perspective for me, so I appreciate that. On, I really like that. That was neat.
0: I agree. Like I personally use the gym as my coping mechanism. My mm-hmm. wife used this gym as a coping mechanism. This is our our safe space. This is what we enjoy doing. But my question is because nothing's ever perfect. What happens when things in the gym don't go right? Like things are going to get frustrating. If you're trying you know, you mentioned earlier your your audience is people who do want to get to a competitive level and enjoy this at it's something that, that they strive to get better at. Progress is never linear. There's times where it's going to be frustrating. When it's not going right, if you hinge that as your sole coping mechanism and things don't go right, now everything is even more frustrating and the spiral begins. So that's one of the biggest reasons why I'm such a proponent of like making smart decisions in the gym and stacking up small wins because it's not always going to be sunshine and rainbows in there. And if your coping mechanism is solely the gym, then you've got to find a way to, even in the dark times, even at the times where you're like training your tail off and everything feels like crap, everything's heavy, everything sucks to be like, well, I did this well today. Mm -hmm. So that's a win. I showed up today. That's cool Mm -hmm. because at times that's all you're really going to be able to sink your teeth into
2: for sure. Love that. Now, also, <laughs> expanding a little bit, as an athlete we we learn to stifle and we've been taught to ignore pain, maybe to work through pain and any sort of variation of that. And often it is a struggle for a pregnant or postpartum athlete to again like we talked about that ego, but Typically, we have to learn how in pregnancy to stop those tendencies and shut off that ego and listen more and be more attuned to pain signals again. What coaching advice do you offer anyone, not only pregnant or postpartum women, when it comes to deciphering what pains are important to progression and what pains are important when it comes to injury
0: prevention? That is like the million dollar question.
2: Yeah, we need to know like, this.
0: <laughs> yeah, this, that, that is the million dollar question. If I had a clear answer to that, then I've you know got a house in Captiva that I can just <laughs> live in for the rest of my life. The, the reason I say that is because pain is pretty complex. So there's a couple things when it comes to pain specifically that I like to touch on. A, it doesn't always mean that damage is happening, but it is an internal survival mechanism of, yo, something's up. What that something is, is what we have to figure out. So I mentioned earlier that under times of high stress, chronic pain areas can be lightning rods. There's a new paper that came out in 2020. It's called low back pain, the common cold of orthopedic pain. Because it's a, it's a $8 billion cost to the U S government, something like some crazy, it might be 80 billion. I don't know, but, Pretty much 80% of the U S population is going to go through some case of low back pain throughout their life. It's a lot of people. So where's that coming from? Did you have a really stressful day? Did you just have an argument with your husband? Is your job situation difficult? What, like, what are those things going on? Is this common? Is it something that's happened repeatedly? especially is is this something that's happened repeatedly over a short span of time. Now we have to start paying attention a little bit closer. Another thing, let's take like knees is a great example. When this happens, somebody comes in, knee is achy. They start working out. It goes away. Then it really sucks after. These are all individual situations of pain that can manifest from a multitude of, of reasons. So it's such a difficult and, Question to answer. But what I would say is, especially when it comes to specifically the pregnant population, you want to pay attention to your body and what it's telling you in that moment. If you can scale the activity back to make the pain go away or decrease, that's always going to be the smartest choice. So I look at it as having three triggers volume, how much work you're doing, intensity how how heavy the work is that you're doing, and frequency, how often you're coming in. Look at those three things. So if you've got an AMRAP on overhead squats and you notice that after the sixth rep, things start becoming dis- like uncomfortable, cap yourself at six reps, do a whole bunch of rounds. Cool, it's awesome. If you realize 60 kilos is when I start getting discomfort, 55 or 50 is comfortable, do the workout at that range go from there if you realize that you've got three or four squat days and the fourth squat day always feels like crap just cut the fourth squat day just get just get rid of it right stay comfortable there those are smart training decisions then if the things start to persist find a professional that can help you answer that question and somebody that you trust to tell you that it's still you're still capable of training that like that, that's the little caveat that I have there. So this thing persists. If you have back pain, that's been going on for a little bit and you're like, I just got to figure this thing out. Cause I can't go find somebody that is going to be like, all right, let's figure this out, but keep you in the gym, <laughs> not be like, don't do this. Cause you're going <laughs> to explode.
2: Love that. Cool. Excellent. So I guess And I sometimes I feel like everything goes back to ego these days, but just like the athlete brain and the ego that tends to take over. So some amazing pointers and tips and you've just shared so much gold today. I really appreciate it. It's been such an amazing experience to have you on the show. And I think now I'm just going to have more men on the show because uh, you did so well. Thank you so much. I think you've schooled our ladies. And a lot of my ladies, you know, that work in my rebuild program maybe right in your kind of target market for some of your stuff once they've completed their uh, foundational work where can the ladies go to you know learn more i'd love for you to plug your your resources what you do and, and where to find you
0: i am most active on instagram john.rebuildstronger that uh, if you send me a message if you interact there you'll hear from me that is easily where i'm the most reliably active Facebook, that sort of stuff. Not so much, but hit me up on Instagram. I'll be, I'm an open book. I am. I will answer any questions you have or, or, or talk about any of this stuff. Cause obviously I don't mind talking about it. So that is, that is number one. Number two, if you're a coach or clinician out there and you're interested in these kinds of coaching techniques and stuff, I also have the clinical athlete powerlifting coaching certification that you can find in the show notes.
2: Okay, cool. I'll definitely plug that in the notes and blog. So John, it has been amazing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you and and you bringing in a big game today. I really appreciate you sharing all these great pearls with us today. Thanks for, for joining us on the podcast.
0: Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. This is especially being the first male. I'm honored. This is a blast.
2: <laughs> you should get some sort of some sort of like statue or prize or something for that.
0: <laughs> I, I want a cool hair tie. You haven't seen it.
2: Ooh! wow. Why yeah. are you holding back on us? What else are hey, you holding back on?
0: I, I normally have like a, a blue and sparkly, like frozen hair tie up here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we got a bunch of black ones from Target the other day. So
2: <laughs> awesome. I'm, All right.
0: I'm a girl dad at heart. This is what There I do. you
2: go. Okay. Stealing your kids hair ties. <laughs> right. Right. Now we know what's up. <laughs> cool. Thanks so much, John. I appreciate that. <laughs> Awesome, ladies. That was, like, my mind is totally blown here. I think I just might have to have (laughs) more males on the podcast because... Damn, John brought it today. I hope you enjoyed that conversation, all those rabbit holes. I do love when my guests aren't afraid to dig deep. If you're pregnant, postpartum, whatever your situation is, whatever your phase of motherhood is, if you are interested in lifting heavy, getting stronger, and doing this with health in the background, John is amazing. And definitely check out the show notes. I'm going to link to his programs. He has got it dialed in. Of course, everything um, that he does can be, you know, done online. He can definitely provide you with some amazing coaching online. But if you are still in that rebuild stage, my rebuild after baby course is super important. If you are a mom and maybe you are a few weeks postpartum And you want to get back to the gym safely. You want to join a higher intensity program after baby like John's. You want to do some power lifting. You can't start where you were before baby. Your starting line has been pushed back a mile. So you need to really do and focus on rebuilding work before you jump in and start doing heavier lifts. And this is going to help you with things like leakage, diastasis, prolapse. And really get you back to the gym safely without injury. So I want you to check out my program, rebuildafterbaby.com. I think you're going to love it because it's a really progressive program that builds you from the bottom all the way to the top so that you can start getting back to those higher intensity workouts that you love Thanks so much for joining me. This has been a fun show. Definitely share it and recommend it to your friends. John has been amazing. So
1: thank you so much for joining me today on the Strong Moms Fitness Podcast. screenshot it before you submit and send it to daisy at strongmomsfitness.com. Your review helps other people find our show. And as a thank you, once a month, we choose the review that makes us all warm and tingly inside and award that lucky lady a free program of their choice. So do it now. It could be you. See you next time, you badass mom, you.